As I was starting for today's talk, I was thinking about a couple of years ago, two years ago, I, I ran my first race ever, and I haven't run since, but I've, I've run I've, my first race, and you'd be happy to know that I think I was 484th in 800 people, so, you know, that's like, wow, you know, that's, yeah, you don't have to clap, that's not really great, right? I, I wasn't really worried about winning, it was more about the challenge, and there was awesome corn at the end of the, the race that they gave us, it was it was, I think, in August, so sweet corn. I thought you'd laugh at that, but you didn't. But, um, but I noticed something at the end of the race that was, so, um, that was different than the beginning of the race. I noticed that at the end of the race, I started to reflect on what I did along the way. Like, I realized that I was very, um, or too, too aware of like, all the people around me, in front of me, and beside me, behind me, and that really got me nervous because I've never done that before. And, uh, and then I, I re- you know, looked back and I realized I really started off too fast. I was trying to like catch up to people or maybe keep people behind me. And so I, I, I you know, got out of breath uh, sooner than maybe, like, maybe I normally would have. And I, so I got tired a little quick. I realized too that towards the end, at about one kilometer left, I started to gain energy back because I knew I was coming to the end. And, and it was interesting. At, at the end of the race, I only thought about these things later. Like, I, I, didn't, I wasn't aware of them at the beginning. I wasn't aware of them even early on. But I only became aware of them at the end. And it's incredible how much perspective you get at the end of something rather than at the beginning or during. Isn't that true? Like, you come to the end of something, you're like, oh, I, I should have done that this way, or I wish I would have, you know, prepared a little bit better for this. And I wish, we, maybe we wish we could only rewind a little bit to, um, to just think through things differently or look at things a little differently. I looked up some stats or surveys of people who have been asked questions towards the end of their life. And uh, this, was, this was a poll taken at a palliative care unit. Some of the top regrets of people in a palliative care unit. Here are some of the f- four top ones. The courage to live true to myself. One of them is to work less and to love more. One of them is the courage to express my own opinion. Another one was to stay in touch with friends more, to, to think back. Tony Campolo had done a survey with the people that were 95 years old. And uh, he asked all of them, if you had to start your life over again, what would you do more of? And the people had three top uh, responses. One, one said, uh, all of them said, I would reflect more, I would risk more, and I would do more that would, that would uh, leave something beyond my life. I would do more that would make a a significant impact beyond my own life. Billy Graham, in a book called Nearing Home, as as he wrote this in in his uh, old age, he said, all my life I was taught how to die as a Christian, but no one ever taught me how I ought to live in the years before I die. Interesting, coming from a guy like Billy Graham, uh, who served God all of his life. And, you know, as we start off today and as we start off this new series as well, I want us to think about that. Imagine the perspective we can gain at the end of something if we only have that opportunity to get there and then look back and say, what would I do differently? And today we, we kick off this brand new series. It's called Finish Line. And we want to take the next few weeks and take this month and, and really not look at the, just the end of our lives in terms of we're not talking about death per se, But really ask the question, imagine ourselves at the end of our lives. Imagine ourselves at the end of our lives. What would we hope 
our lives would be about? What would we look back and say, I wish my life would be about this? Or I wish I would have talked more about this? Or I wish I would have grown more in this area? Or I hoped I would have experienced this or accomplished that? Or maybe you might look back and say, I I wish my relationships would have turned out this way or I would have paid more attention to them. Or maybe the sacrifices you wish you would have made or the legacy you could have left or what you could have contributed to. But, you know, we don't get that perspective until we're actually at the finish line. But imagine we could actually pause and say, what do I want my life to look like in 10 years or 20 years or at the finish line? The Apostle Paul um, writes to a young pastor, his name is Timothy, and Paul's coming towards the, the end of his life, and he's writing to this young pastor, Timothy, in a town called Ephesus, uh, in this church that he's pastoring, and I love Paul's words here. They're, they're truthful, they're sobering, they're honest, they're transparent. He says this, starting in verse 5. He says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Let's just pause and pray. Father, as we jump into this text and into this series, Lord, we we pause right now and ask you, as we did earlier, to give us revelation from you, Lord, from the power of your spirit. Work deeply in our hearts in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is an interesting passage because Paul is looking, he's looking back now and he's talking about the end of his life. It sounds a little different than the survey that we picked up from the palliative care unit. But his, the context is, he says, my life has been poured out. What's he saying? He says, my life has been spent. My life has been used. My life has been given. My life has been lived. It reminds me of this book title. I never read the book, but the title always jumped out at me. It said, Die Broke. And what the book was trying to get at was saying, don't live your life just trying to you know, accumulate stuff or have everything at the end, but die a life that you've lived out. Die a life, uh, you know, end your life knowing that you've lived it and not that you've just kept it for the end. And I think when Paul says these words, my life has been poured out, he's, he's letting us know that he's looking back and he's saying, I've, I've lived my life. I've spent my energy, my time, my whole self. And then in verse 7, there's this moment of self-reflection where Paul looks back and he says, I fought the fight, I finished the race, and I've kept the faith. All past tense. I fought, I finished, I've kept. He's looking back and he's saying, I think, I believe I've done these things. I believe I've lived out this way. And he's talking about activities, the struggles he's gone through, the race or the journey he's living, or the faith that he's growing in and keeping and also spreading. And Paul looks back at his life as something he's actually lived, not something he's hoped to have lived, but something he's actually lived. And he talks about this crown of righteousness that he looks forward to. And I love the idea of that because Paul has a hope that even at the end of his life or into eternity, God is going to be with him, rewards him with eternity. But this crown of righteousness, and the word righteousness ties into life. 
It's the way of living. Righteousness is a way of living. And Paul looks forward to this hope. And he says, everyone who longs for Jesus has this hope. Everyone who trusts in Jesus has this hope. But what I, what I love about this phrase here in this, in this small book is Paul doesn't just live hoping for the crown. He looks back and he says, I've lived this life. I've engaged this life. I've pursued it with an eye on the finish line. And, and it's this one particular line I love where he says, I have finished the race. I have finished the race. That line jumps out at me because there's a couple of times that Paul uses this in, other, in his other letters and there's other parts in the scripture where we get this idea of a race. Hebrews 12 says, let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Paul says in one of his books, he says, run in such a way to get the prize. I love this theme of a race because it implies two things. It implies one, there's a finish line. And secondly, it implies there's a life. There's a journey before you get to that finish line. It's not just about the end. It's about the whole thing in between. It's about the whole race. It's about the whole journey. And, and, and this theme in scripture that we're running a race, we're living a life. And as much as Paul hoped for the crown, I believe he spent his life, he lived it, engaged in the race. And here's the thing. Sometimes we think of race and we're thinking, does that mean I have to have a fast-paced life or a competitive life or a hectic life? That's not the, the purpose of the metaphor. The purpose of the metaphor is that we're on a journey. We're moving towards something. And the journey is as important as the finish line. And I believe that sense of race means a life well lived. And if there's a subtitle we can give to this series, it's that. It's a life well lived. How do we pursue a life well lived? And I believe Paul has that in his mind because in, in another one of his letters, Ephesians 5, verse 15 and 16, Paul says these very words. He says, be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. So Paul's not saying, you know, uh, be rushed with your life or have a fast-paced life or get to the finish line right away or it's only about the glory of the end. He's saying, think about how you're going to live. Be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. And this is what struck me here is that when we have this perspective, I think it gives us a certain principle. And I, I, I wrote it out this way. And it's on the screen that if we can recognize that there's a finish line, then we can have an eye on the future with our hands and feet in the present. We can have an eye on, on the future, but our hands and feet in the present. So we look forward towards what kind of life do I want to be able to have lived, but we don't just look towards that. We actually say, but my hands and feet are here in the present. And, and, and I need to, I, I want to engage that now. And so the eye in the future is saying, when I get to the finish line, what kind of life do I hope I would have lived? And this is not about entrance into heaven or earning God's grace. That's, that's God's grace. This is about what kind of life does God long for us to live even now? So the eye in the future is thinking about that. The hands and feet in the present is living in such a way now for what I want my whole life to be about thinking now what I want my whole life to be about. Well, let me ask you a question. How many things are you putting off for later? How many things do you put off for later? Think about that. How many uh, conflicts are you putting off to resolve later? What kind of things do you put off for later? How many people put off forgiveness for later? 
How many people put off pouring into certain relationships for later? You know, I'll have time to pour into this relationship later. Maybe next year or in five years or in the next season. Maybe some people think, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll have time later to enrich my marriage or to learn a skill. Or I'll have time to rest better, to take care of my body. Or maybe I'll have time to risk. You know, I'll risk later, not now. I don't know what comes to mind when you think about that. Maybe some people say, I'm going to just, I'll save for the future later. I I don't care about thinking about saving for the future now. Growing in faith, you know what? God's going to save me anyways. He'll just zap my brain into full kingdom beauty one day. So I won't grow now. I'll just grow later. So I don't know, what, what, what do you put off for later? Because I think there's this mentality that sets in with us, and it's like, you know, don't do now what you can do later. That's part of a mentality, right? Don't do now what you can do later. I mean, that's okay for the laundry, right? <laughs> that's okay for the laundry. It's like, because who wants to do the laundry now? You'd rather do it later. Uh, but it, it doesn't, it, when you think about your life and what kind of life you want to have lived, whether it's in the next decade or your whole life, It's better to reverse that and say, what can I do now that I can't do later? Not do now that I can do later. What can I do now, must do now, that I cannot do later? Because here's the thing. There are certain things that are harder to actually achieve or grow in as time passes. It's, it's, It's a lot harder to have mature, developed relationships in just like a week or two time and think, I'm going to think about that later. It's harder to create memories and establish um, rapport and relationship with people later than now. It gets harder to plan for retirement when you're in your late 60s, obviously. It's harder to leave a legacy for neighbors when you think only down the road if you don't think now. It's, there's certain things that are harder to do Later, as time passes, it's harder to create a life of generosity later. It's harder to uh, learn skills that require your years to build. You know, sometimes you see someone who wants to grow in a certain skill and they see someone who does it and they're like, I would love to do that. And then they realize that takes about five years to get to that kind of skill point. Or you meet a doctor and you're like, how do you do that? Well, it took all these other classes 10 years ago and then eight years ago and then now, doesn't, we're not all called to be that, but there are certain things that take longer, right, to develop in our lives. And I, I was thinking about a friend of mine named Glenn, and he's in his 60s, and he has an older friend named Gordon in his 70s who lives in New England. And both these guys, they're both in ministry, and they met probably 30 years ago. They met 30 years ago, and uh, they have planned every year they meet up for a small little retreat together. They spend a day or two together sharing with each other, praying for each other, reading through some, some things together, and they keep in touch throughout the year. And I was thinking about Glenn's relationship with Gordon. I think, like, that could not have just happened. That, that could not just... Glenn and Gordon could not wake up in their 60s and 70s and say, I wish I had a long-term friend. But they found a friend early on in their life, and they said, I'm going I'm to invest in this relationship And I'm going to build into that. And I'm going to make time once a year to be with this person and to grow and to let this person keep me accountable and to speak into my life. And over time, they can look back and say, oh, wow, this this relationship has grown into something with depth. I was thinking about my grandfather. He was um, a consistent giver and tither at the church. And he he had a really... um, 
you know, lower paying job. He worked uh, in a factory all of his life. He, he'd come from Italy in his 20s. And, and I thought from when he came to faith and when he, he just grew with this heart of generosity, over the course of a lifetime, he died at 91 years old. He probably, probably in the course of a lifetime, you know, donated like, I don't know, uh, what's like seven, like, I don't know, six figures, like 100, 200, maybe more thousand dollars. Now I think about that. He could not have written a check at 80 for 150,000. Just impossible. He could not have written a check at 85 for $200,000. But over the course of a lifetime, all these small little checks, all these small little donations, according to his income, surpassed what some people might give that make five, 10, or 15 times as much. And I think he could not have done that overnight. He could only have done it over time. There's something beautiful about saying, okay, let me do now what I can't do later with an eye on the future and your hands and feet in the present. Because there's a difference between that. Henry Cloud, who's a Christian um, counselor, he says, if you want to accomplish something in the future, keep in mind that the present is always too busy. Therefore, do not wait until you have time. Make the time first. And this is the kind of wisdom that Scripture speaks into our hearts. This is the kind of wisdom that Scripture speaks into our life. Wisdom actually, and I'm going to tell you why I believe this, wisdom comes to those who actually consider what kind of life they would have liked to have lived in the finish line. Wisdom comes to those who think that way. The primary source of our wisdom, the Scripture says, is God. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's what the Scripture says. Get connected to God. God wants to give us wisdom. There's a promise in the, in the Scriptures that says, ask the Lord for wisdom. He'll give you abundantly. The source of wisdom is God. But I believe the Scriptures tell us that there's a boost of wisdom when we gain a finish line perspective. There's a boost of wisdom that we gain when we consider our whole life. And here's why. I, I just turned... 43 years old this year. Um, so, thank you. And uh, now, every day I read a verse of the day that comes out with this app called Bible Gateway. This is just one thing I love to read every day. And on my birthday, on my birthday, my 43rd birthday, this verse pops up for the verse of the day. And I thought, how did Bible Gateway know my heart? And so, so here's this verse, Psalm 90, 12. Talk about getting like, you know, on your birthday. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I love that. What a prayer. Lord, show me how I can be aware that my days are numbered. Lord, help me be aware that my life is not infinite. Lord, help me understand that I have a finish line. That's sobering to read on your birthday, but it's such a vital truth, right? Teach me, Lord, to number my days. And here's why. Because when we understand that truth about ourselves, we have a boost of wisdom. It says that when, Lord, teach me to number my ways, my, number my days, that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Why? Because when immediately, when you begin to understand that your days are numbered, that your days are finite, that, that time doesn't stand still for you, 
You seek wisdom. You seek truth. You seek counsel. You seek input. Something happens. Your focus changes. You, you begin to, to, to want to live differently because when you recognize my days are numbered, you ask different questions, you pursue different things, you, you, you seek understanding, and you long to act on that because you realize I don't have a thousand years. I don't have forever. I need to act. So you seek wisdom. You grow in wisdom. You surround yourself with wise people. You seek the ultimate source of wisdom, God. This prayer is so amazing. Lord, teach me to number my days so that I may gain a heart of wisdom. See, I believe there's wisdom for all of us from the Lord, from the scriptures. But somehow there's this boost of wisdom when we get this perspective. Teach me to number my days with an eye on the future, with our hands and feet in the present. And in this series, in the next few weeks, we're going to look at different principles to help us um, actually build a life that we will long to live. So when we look towards the end, we're like, oh, I'm grateful that I made these decisions along the way. I'm grateful. Now today, here's how I want to end this. And I would just want you to consider, just consider for a moment today, like what are the areas of your life that you want to look like? How do you want your life or areas of your life to look like at the finish line? Now you might say, well, I, Dave, I'm only like 18 or I'm only 25, or I'm only 35, or even I'm only 45 or 50. I I feel like I've got time, but I want you to just consider this. You can ask this question at any stage of your life because you can look at the next 10 years or the next 20 years or the next 60 years. It doesn't really matter how old you are. It's asking the question, even, even if you're a teenager, what do I want my life to be like in my 20s? And if you're in your 20s, what do I want my life to be like in my 30s? Or if you happen to be in a relationship and maybe you're saying, what do I want my, my relationships to be like, my relationship to be like in a, in a few years from now, in 10 years from now or whatever. So you can be a teenager, a young adult, you can be a husband, a grandmother, it doesn't matter. You can ask this question because it's so vital if you want to gain perspective. And the question is, what must I do now to reflect a life that I long that a life well lived in the future. Just think about that. What must I do now to reflect a life well lived in the future? I don't know the categories that God's prompting on your heart. It might be your relationships. It might be your finances. It might be your partnership in the gospel. It might be your spiritual growth. It might be another area of your life. What must you do now to reflect the life well lived in the future. Because here, here's the thing, like a race, there's, real, there's no shortcuts in a race. There's no shortcuts in a race. Now it doesn't mean there's no second chances. The, our God is a God of second chances. It doesn't mean there's no redemption because God is a God of redemption. It doesn't mean that, that we, if we're at a certain part of our lives, we say, oh gosh, it's over, forget it, I can't. No, 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 God is a God who redeems and loves and gives second chances and gives us wisdom regardless of where we are in our life. It's never too late for new life. It's never too late for forgiveness. It's never for late, too late for spiritual growth. It's never too late for reconciliation. It's never too late to grow with God and with people. But there is a finish line. That's just the, the reality. There's a, a runner. Her name was Rosie Ruiz. And she ran in the 1980 Boston Marathon. I don't know if you've ever heard this story. 
She ran in the Boston Marathon, and um, it was incredible because she just did an incredible time. And uh, so she won, she won the marathon. She was the female winner of the Boston Marathon in 1980. And after she won the race, all of a sudden there was speculation going like, wait a second, how did she, how did she beat her time by 25 minutes? Um, and how did, wait a second, did, people were starting to say, did I, did I see her at the, at the checkpoints? And some people said, wait, they, she ran at a, at a race in New York a couple of months earlier to qualify for the Boston race, and people found her on the subway between checkpoints in New York. And, and so this whole investigation breaks out, and they realize that she took the subway from Cambridge to Boston and jumped in the race a, couple of, you know, a mile or so before the end. And she won the race. And they actually checked your legs. You're like, your legs are too flabby to have won this race. You know? So, so they did all this. And, and here she is. She cut in to win this race. But obviously she didn't win the race. It's a good story. It fooled some people at first. But the reality is, here's, here's, here's the thing. You and I, we cannot do that with certain things in life. We cannot take a subway in our relationships from point B to D so we can get to F. We can't just cut in line with how we want our finances to, to, to be dealt with. We, we can't just cut in line for the conflict resolution we need to deal with. We can't just have a shortcut in terms of like, I want to know God's word and the scriptures and oh, God, if, there's, if there's like a next subway stop I can take just to get me into that gear. See, we, we can't do shortcuts like that with some of the things we talked about. It's hard to do that with relationships and with maturity and with money. You can't just make lifelong friends in a week. And you can't leave a legacy in a week's worth. And you can't shape your mind and your heart on Facebook posts. You just can't. You can't turn a health switch on at some point in your life. You can't write a tithing check for a life's worth of income. In your, on your pension. You can't learn to listen and follow God's voice from fortune cookie spirituality. You just can't do that. You can't cut in line like that. That doesn't happen. And so as we start off this series today, I just want us to encourage us to, to think about this. And I believe wisdom will grow. God will grow wisdom in us with an eye on the future and our hands and feet in the present. An eye on the future and our hands and feet in the present. Let's stand as we close in prayer. As Paul had his eye on the crown of righteousness, he said it, he admitted it. He said, I know this day is coming. I know that there is a crown of righteousness awaiting for me. And for all those who long for Jesus, I know this crown is there. But daily, I love this, daily, he looks back and he says, I was fighting daily. I was running daily. I was keeping the faith daily. I lived out my life. And so I really believe we can do now things that we cannot possibly do later. So let's, let's start this year thinking through that and what our lives, God longs our lives to be like. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we pause and give each other, even in this moment, just a moment to allow you to speak to us right now. Maybe there's areas in our life that we, we long to see in a certain way through the, the vision of your eyes, God, and the vision of your word, and the vision of your kingdom. 
And we would so love that towards a finish line, whether that's 10 years, 20, or 50, whether it's a season of our life or our whole lives, that we could look back and say that we did spend our life living out these things. Lord, we we pause and invite your Holy Spirit to prompt our minds and our hearts right now. What are some things that we're putting off for later that just can't be done later, that must be done today? What are some things in this next year or season that we must engage in as a next step for whatever your future holds for us? Lord, I know that you long for us to grow in our understanding of you and your word. And Lord, may we commit to a long obedience in the same direction with you. May we apply that to other parts of our lives as well. And I sit here, Lord, um, just open before you, knowing that there are areas of my life where I am definitely trying to put off for later. Lord, help me. Give me your grace and your courage. Teach me to number my days so I may gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, give us an eye for the future, what you long for us. And may we be determined that our hands and our feet will be living that out today in the present. Thank you for examples like the Apostle Paul who had his eye on the crown but fought the fight was finishing the race, keeping the faith. Lord, may we be people like that for your honor, for your glory. And may we trust you to give us wisdom in that. And for some here today who are just longing for you to impact and fill their lives, Lord, may we all put our trust in Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We fix our eyes on him as we run this race. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.